Good morning. Good morning. There we are. Um, <clears throat> as we uh, jump into God's word this morning, I just want to ask you to consider one question. Um, I just want to ask you, uh, have you grown complacent in your faith in Jesus? And is he calling you into deeper relationship with him? passage we're going to look at this morning is John chapter 5. Um, it's the healing of an invalid at a pool of Bethesda. Uh, and it's kind of an interesting passage because it's one that uh, the person who gets healed, I've always, I've never really liked him. Um, and I never really knew why. And I, I think I've kind of put my finger on it. And I'll share that with you in a moment. But let's pray and we'll jump in. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us in and through it. Thank you for Holy Spirit that we might understand, that we might know you. Father, please bless us this morning. Please give us tender hearts and ears to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just going to jump right into John 5 because we're going to hit some contextual stuff uh, as we move through. Um, But it starts, John chapter uh, 5, sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now if you're looking in your Bibles, verse 4 is probably not there. It's not in the oldest manuscripts, but um, in like uh, the 1984 NIV, it's in there. So you may have a Bible that doesn't have verse 4. Uh, But we're going to read it because it gives us some good context for what's taking place and why these people are laying uh, around the pools. They were there waiting for the moving of the water because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment he had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned Uh, that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? So here's the situation. You've got uh, near the sheep gate, which was literally a a gate in the wall in Jerusalem, near the temple mount where the sheep would go in and out. Um, There uh, you have these two pools. And in in Aramaic, they call them Bethesda. But they have five colonnades around them. So one, one, two, three, four, and then one in the middle. And it separates the two pools. Um, And picture this, it was fairly large. A lot of people could gather there. And what you have on a regular basis is a group of disabled people, of stricken people, of outcasts who were there. And they're there because they're waiting for the pool to stir. And the narrative is that when the pool stirs, it's actually an angel coming down and stirring the waters. And when you get in immediately, the first person to get in is healed of their disease. So Jesus walks into this narrative and he finds a man who's there and he says to the man, do you want to get well? And the man says this, he says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So he tells him I'm not fast enough to get into the water and be healed. Someone else goes before I can get there. But the subtext that I hear is this, this place, these people, this story, and it is a story, right? There's no magical water that gets stirred up and cures and heals people. 
that's not real. But when you have community that is formed around something, formed around a hope, an idea, a narrative, it can become your life. It can give you hope. It can give you meaning, purpose, goal. It can give you place. It can even give you community. But it's all centered around something that is falsely supernatural. And into this falsely supernatural situation walks the creator of the universe, walks the living son of God. And he says to a man that he's talked to and finds out that he's been an invalid for 38 years, he says, do you really want to get well? The man says, I can't get in. And I, I don't think he's overly concerned that he can't get in because they don't actually believe that they're going to be healed, but it does provide community and it does provide life. It does provide a goal and meaning and purpose. And then Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man is cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And it's a stark picture of truth breaking into a man's world, a world that was crafted and structured around something that was inherently false and untrue. And when truth breaks into something like that, crazy, beautiful things happen. Um, it makes me think, when I was in college, when I was a freshman um, in college, uh, I deemed myself an agnostic, right? There's so, uh, truth is so unattainable and we can never know whether or not God actually exists. Um, I did a lot of philosophizing and talking, many words, but little wisdom. And then as a sophomore, I met Jesus, and I met Jesus by picking up God's word. Um, I read uh, the gospel of Luke first, and then Matthew and Mark and John, and truth broke into my falsely constructed world of deep meaning, and I encountered the living Christ, like this man did here. Now, we have two things taking place. Um, one is the encounter with the man, and then we have uh, sort of a subtext that's happening uh, that has to do with the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, uh, the leaders and, and rulers of the law. This took place on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Now it's against the law for a man to carry a mat to and, to and from one dwelling to another. Um, the Sabbath was considered a day of careful rule keeping, but not for Jesus. For Jesus, the Sabbath was to be a blessing to man and not a burden. So miracles of healing, bringing freedom to his people was the exact perfect time to do it on the Sabbath a day that actually brought rest and blessing. Well, scripture says that Jesus then went and found the man. He says, later Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And then the scripture says the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now I read this um, in this way. Jesus finds him at the temple and he offers him an invitation, an invitation to questions, an invitation to relationship, 
an invitation for him to take this beyond simply being healed. So he says to him, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And you can imagine the, the, the numerous questions that could come from that, right? You're well again. Okay, how do you know what I was like before? Um, what do you mean by stop sinning? And what are the worst things that could happen to me? What about maybe perhaps, who are you? How did you do that? What on earth has happened to me? And now I'm standing here at the temple. But scripture just says, and it's so sad, the man went away. And instead he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, context. John chapter three, Nicodemus, a Pharisee who knew the law and encounters Jesus. He should have recognized who Jesus was as the Messiah, but he didn't. John chapter four, the Samaritan woman. Now the Samaritan woman is someone who should have by no means recognized who Jesus was. He reveals himself to her and she worships, praises God and goes and gets her whole community. But then you have this guy, the invalid. He's kind of an odd character, right? 38 years he's been disabled. He's healed by Jesus. Jesus finds him. And then here's the thing. He seems wholly unchanged. He doesn't ask Jesus anything. He doesn't walk and jump and praise God like the healed uh, beggar in Acts chapter three. He doesn't fall on his feet like the woman who was healed from the issue of blood. He just walks away on his new legs and he tells the Jews who healed him. It's like he's spiritually sleepwalking. And I realized why I've never liked him because I'm afraid he's an awful lot like me. And it's like looking in a bit of a mirror, right? And I think it, it's a mirror, not just on me and my heart, but on our community and our Christian culture. The tendency, the trap that we might fall into, one of the simplest temptations. He'd encountered Jesus, he'd been healed by Jesus, but he was somehow callous to the voice of Jesus and his invitation. How many of us does that describe today? Saved and satisfied. Content to simply call yourself a Christian. Christian nice, pretty moral, and that's enough. Holiness, Christ-likeness, self-sacrificing, Jesus-dependent, prayerful, all ideas that sound really, really good and we would laud and lift up, but we happily leave them on the pages of God's word and in the books that you have to read for theology classes. I'm not casting stones. I just don't want anyone to fall through the cracks. It is so easy to be surrounded by Christian stuff all the time and to be callous to Christ himself. It's easy to use very valid concerns with the church or with other Christians as excuses for personal apathy. And John, who wrote this gospel, he speaks to this even more directly, but not so much in the gospel, in the book of Revelation that he writes years later. Revelation chapter three talks about this condition exactly. And I want you to keep asking this question. Have I grown complacent in my faith? And is the Father calling me to something deeper?
In Revelation chapter 3, uh, John is writing to the church at Laodicea, and this is what he says. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, I write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And that is Jesus speaking. Now this passage is written to Christians to a church gone lukewarm. People knowing just enough about Jesus to not deny him, but apathetic when it comes to actually living for him. They're not hot with hearts alive and on fire for God. And they're not hearts that are cold, that could be pricked by the spirit. Instead, they're just lukewarm and really comfortable with who they are. And verse 17 says, for you say, I am rich, I've prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They were wealthy people. They were known for the glassy wool that they produced in Laodicea. They actually had eye salves that they would send out into the ancient Near East that would be used for different diseases and stuff around your eyes. But the Lord says, you see yourself this way, rich, prospered, and you need nothing but you don't realize the actual proper assessment of where your heart is. You're missing the very depth of your need. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire because you don't see your spiritual poverty. White garments so that you may clothe yourself and so that the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. You're naked in your sin and shame even though you think you are well. And this salve, buy this salve to anoint your eyes not so that you'll cure diseases, but so that you can actually see where you are in relation to me. And then he says, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. He tells them to repent and to turn to God. Let repentance flow from godly sorrow that you feel. When we are confronted with our complacency, when we are confronted with apathy, there's something that should happen in kind of the bowels of who we are. We should feel a degree of, of sorrow. Paul calls it a godly sorrow because it's a sorrow that leads to repentance. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he's apparently written a letter that he, he almost feels bad about because it makes the Corinthians feel awful. He says, but I'm not sorry. It's a sorrow that produces good fruit. Paul says, godly sorrow brings about repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. The salvation that Paul is talking to is by grace and faith alone. But there is a godly sorrow that leads to a deep repentance and a turning to God. And that is what the Father calls us to repent from. He calls us to repent from sin. If we don't know him, we turn from sin and self and come to him in faith that he might save us. But what about when we do know him? We claim Christ. We're followers of Jesus. But when we're lukewarm apathetic, comfortable. We still have to repent. We repent of those things. We repent of complacency and apathy. Jesus meant it 
when he said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And that brings us back to that passage in Revelation. In, in chapter three at the end there, it's a verse that I'm sure you've all heard numerous times, but it's almost always taken out of context. Remember, it's written to the church at Laodicea. It's written to Christians. This is written to followers of Jesus, not to people who don't know him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. He's writing to Christians in Laodicea. This is not evangelism. This is a call back to fervency of faith. Now to open that door that Jesus knocks on, it may mean that you have to alter your priorities. It may mean that you have to be willing to forgive a person that you've gotten very comfortable disliking. It may mean that you have to ask hard questions about how you spend your time, perhaps who you spend your time with. It means that you have to examine your heart with the help of the Spirit. And if you are struck and pricked with godly sorrow, knowing that this is talking about you, rejoice and give thanks because your Father is calling out to you. And remember two things from our passage. The Lord rebukes and disciplines those whom he loves and godly sorrow that leads to repentance leaves no regret. When Paul talks throughout his letters, one of the things that he talks about over and over is having a clear conscience before the Father. Having a clear conscience before the Father. And every time I read that, I think it's one of the greatest um, and deepest gifts that the Lord gave to Paul was that he was able to live in such a way that his conscience was truly clear before the living God and that he could live without regret. So is the father calling you out of complacency into something deeper? Have you been comfortable? Way too comfortable? Have you been complacent? Repent then in turn to God and answer the knock. And here's what happens when you do answer that knock. This is the promise of Jesus Christ. He says, anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I will restore the fellowship that you claim to have with me. I will come and sup with you. You will know my presence and we will once again be intimate. And then he also says to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So you have a picture of long future of eternity reigning with Christ, but you have a picture now where we are sitting on the throne with Christ, actually able by the power of the spirit to be free from sin, to not be complacent, to not be comfortable, not following Jesus. That's the promise that he gives us. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The risen Christ who's died on the cross for our sins, who's paid the price that we could never pay and that we claim, right? That we claim 
as Christians to follow and to love more than anything else in the world. And he's saying, just don't let yourself get like the Laodiceans. Don't get comfortable and don't get apathetic. Don't be like the invalid at the pool, right? Who encountered Christ, who met Christ, who was healed by Christ, who was given new life by Christ. And all he did was walk away. No relationship, no questions, no intimacy, no interest. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't let that be us. I meant it. I was really honest when I said the reason I don't like him is because I see a lot of me in him. And I I don't want to be that. I want to open that door that Jesus is knocking on. I want my depth of relationship to continue to grow, that I might know Jesus, that he might be the most important thing in my life always. I want that for you too. Talking a lot about coming back as Christians, right? But if you're sitting in here and you don't know him and you don't claim him, you know, you're at a Christian college. I know, I know how, you know how our, our culture is. And I know how many, I don't know exactly how many, that's not true. I know some of you don't know him, but he calls you to repent of your sin and turn to him that you might know him. And those same promises are extended to you. So brothers and sisters have ears to hear what the spirit says to the churches and be willing to repent and do not be comfortable and do not be content with being comfortable. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it is a miraculous that you can take um, broken words from a, a broken man and still speak your truth. Will you please minister to our hearts? Will you please call us um, by your Holy Spirit to holiness and Christ-likeness, um, to depth of relationship that sounds almost too good to be true? Father, I pray that you will give us hope by the power of your Spirit, that we will rest in the gospel, and that as Jesus knocks, we will hear his voice and open the door, trusting the promises and knowing, Lord, that we don't become convinced of them first and then open, but we open and you show your goodness to us. Lord, please be with us and bless us. Um, I pray that you will give our students great rest this weekend and a wonderful time by the power of the Spirit and in Jesus' name, amen.